0: Coming up next on Upstate's HealthLink on air, a pharmacist talks about what to expect if you or someone you love are on chemotherapy and how best to deal with common side effects.
1: Remember, there are side effects that can happen and keep those under control, the patients can stay on those therapies for a longer period of time and hopefully have a better outcome and keep the disease in check.
0: A urologist who specializes in prostate cancer shares two new treatment advances.
2: Up until now, we basically had only injection forms that we could give men. And with this new drug, the uh, Rela it is now, uh, we are now able to give it in oral form.
0: And a financial counselor will tell what you need to know about paying for cancer care.
3: My job is the financial counselor to help minimize the confusion and the stress that is caused by uh, financial concern.
0: All that, plus a visit from The Healing Muse after the news. This is Upstate Medical University's HealthLink on Air. Your chance to explore health, science, and medicine with the experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. On this week's show, a urologist specializing in prostate cancer will tell about a new medication and a new method of PET scanning that provides more treatment options for men. Then, a financial counselor answers some of the most common questions about paying for cancer care. But first, a cancer pharmacist tells what's important to know about chemotherapy. From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. You may have heard about chemotherapy as a treatment for cancer. Today, we'll delve deeper into what it is and how it works with Timothy Chang. He's a pharmacist at the Upstate Cancer Center. Thank you for being here, Mr. Chang.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: What is chemotherapy? Is there a standard definition?
1: Um, so, if we look at the definition of, of chemotherapy, Um, It's any medications that are used to treat fast-growing cells in the body. Um, And typically, this is referring to cancer cells.
0: So, by fast-growing, if there's other cells that are fast-growing, they might be uh, affected as well?
1: Yes, they they can be, which leads to some of the side effects that can happen with chemotherapy.
0: I see. Well, so it's not a particular medication or even a combination.
1: Uh, nope, it's it's uh, referring to a um, just a, a group of medications that that can uh, do this particular uh, thing of, of killing those fast growing cells. Um, so it's just a general term.
0: How many different chemotherapy drugs are
1: there? Probably uh, close to a couple hundred um, medications available right now. Um, and it, um, uh, as time goes on, this uh, this uh, number keeps growing and growing.
0: So, are, are some of the same drugs used for a variety of different cancers, or does every cancer have its own, you know, unique kind of chemotherapy?
1: Depending on the medication, there there is some overlap with medic of medication between the different types of cancers. Um, it depends. Uh, a lot of this depends on the sensitivity of the tumor um, to these different types of chemotherapy, and if um, they are sensitive and um, there is a potential for use for, for using these chemotherapies and those medications.
0: Well, can you tell us about the first chemotherapy drug? I mean, how many years ago was this uh, sort of developed?
1: So the first chemotherapy drug was available back in the 1940s and its um, development of it was actually f- uh, fairly interesting. Um, it was derived um, from mustard gas that was used in uh, World War I by the Germans. Um, and what ended up happening was a doctor uh, was doing a, a looking at some of the autopsy results um, in, in some of the soldiers from from the First World War, and they noticed that the uh, bone marrow in these patients was significantly um, altered by, by the mustard gas. Um, and then they looked at this and um, realized that they were able to use this type of they might be able to use this type of medication for cancer. And so um, they did some modification to the mustard gas, um, made it into a injectable product at that point. So it was called nitrogen mustard, um, and now it's commonly known as a drug called Um, And uh, they used it to treat a, the first lymphoma patient in the 1940s, um, and that patient had great results with it and ended up in remission at that time.
0: So, sort of discovered by accident
1: yes yeah
0: wow um so the patient in the 40s had lymphoma is that uh what kind of cancer is that
1: it's a blood type of cancer uh the cell type in the lymph node uh starts growing uncontrollably and um, there are some more underlying things that can cause this but um that's the general uh definition
0: interesting Well, can you walk us through how chemotherapy has evolved since then?
1: In the broadest terms, chemotherapy can affect all types of cells. As time's gone on, um, scientists are now looking at using more targeted approaches to try to minimize some of the toxicities to patients. Um, So as you look as time's gone on, um, the chemotherapy has become more and more targeted towards specific um, targets on the cancer cells. so a lot of the new oral medications uh, that are out there are looking at, specific, they're called molecular targets on the outside of the tumors, and um, they stop cell signaling. So a lot of the newer drugs are targeting this and some of the newer IV medications um, are looking at the same, same thing. They're targeting um, specific, a specific molecule on the outside of that tumor and trying to um, minimize toxicity to our patients. That's what I was going to wonder.
0: So, I mean, because if this started with mustard gas, toxic, it's become the,
1: the drugs have become less toxic over time. Um, so, we hope they've become less toxic. Unfortunately, there are still um, a lot of side effects with some of these newer medications. Um, they're just trying to focus it more. Unfortunately, by inhibiting a specific target, though, sometimes those targets still affects some normal cell function as well. And that's what leads to some of these side effects.
0: So is it, the goal of chemotherapy always
1: to kill the cancer cells? Um, it's either to kill those, the cancer cells or to slow down the growth of the, of the cancer cells as well.
0: And then you use the term cell signaling. That it, Does that have to do with cell growth?
1: Yes, it, it can do with cell growth, yeah.
0: What about, are there other diseases other than cancer um, for which chemotherapy may be prescribed?
1: Yes, um, there's, so there's some autoimmune type diseases that, that it can be used for. So things like rheumatoid arthritis, um, multiple sclerosis is starting to utilize some chemotherapy medications to try to um, slow down the course of the disease by um, stopping the immune system interesting
0: you're listening to upstate's health link on air i'm your host amber smith talking with pharmacist timothy chang from the upstate cancer center and our subject today is chemotherapy why are some chemotherapy medications oral and some intravenous
1: through a needle so uh, it depends on um, how the medication can be absorbed some medications can be absorbed orally and then um, if when they go through the gut, they need to be converted by the liver. Um, and some medications just aren't able to be absorbed that way we can utilize the. the gut. Um, sometimes that is the best option and also has to do with some of the toxicities available. Um, on the medications as well
0: is, uh, which, which works quicker oral or intravenous. Um,
1: tip. Typically, um, the IV has a faster onset of action just because it has, because it's going straight into the bloodstream. The orals, oral medications still work fairly quickly though, and so um, I, I wouldn't say one's faster than the other necessarily.
4: And
0: with other types of medications, I hear the term time release because they're meant to you know work over a course of hours or, or days, I guess. It, does that apply to chemotherapy drugs as well?
1: Um, s- certain chemotherapy medications, and sometimes it has to do with where in the um, in the GI tract um, it needs to be absorbed from. So, sometimes they'll say it's a time-release medication, though, so it has some protection for the medication. So, it needs to get to a certain part of the gut um, in order for it to absorb properly.
0: Now, if someone um, needs an infusion and needs the intravenous chemotherapy type through an infusion, what determines if that person is gonna be hospitalized for that or if they come, you know, and go home after the
1: infusion? So that's a great question. Um, sometimes it has to do with some certain risk factors for the patient. So if they are at risk for having some type of reaction, they may need to end up in the hospital, um, depending on when they're diagnosed too. Unfortunately, some patients are then um, diagnosed right in the hospital. So they need to get treated right away. Um, also depending on the cancer type as well. So, certain acute leukemias need to be treated um, in the hospital just because of the severity of the disease. Um, if it's not as severe, they can be treated on an outpatient basis if the medication allows for it to be like that. Um, and also, uh, the depending, some, some patients need something called a continuous infusion where they need to be hooked up to a pump. If we're able to, we'll send them home with something. If not, Um, they need to be admitted to the hospital just because of the time it takes for the infusion to to go in.
0: In general, how would you uh, tell a person to prepare
1: for chemotherapy? Um, So the best thing to tell the patients is to get plenty of rest and keep up their nutrition. That is really the key factor to preparing themselves for this.
0: So, be well rested, well hydrated. Well, you know, good nutrition, um. Are there a set of side effects that are common with all chemotherapies or is it very individualized to the drug?
1: It's individualized to the. Drug, um, yeah, it's a lot of it's very individualized to the drug and to the patients too. some patients will. Not have any side effects from the medications, and some patients will respond and or will, will, um, will have some reactions to the medication.
0: I've heard about uh, people losing their hair during treatment um, because of chemotherapy. Is that as common today as it used to be?
1: Um, again, it depends on the medication. So, as we were talking about before, um, with some of the side effects, we had said that uh, chemotherapy works on the fast growing cells um in the body and one of the fast growing cells in the body are, are hair that the cells that produce the hair um and so like I said if if the chemotherapy is targeting targeting those rapidly growing cells then um that's one of the first things that unfortunately does that can go um is the hair loss
0: well other than rest and and nutrition is there anything people can do um maybe during an infusion even that will help their body receive the medication?
1: Hydration and nutrition are probably the best things that they can do. And just um, making sure they have a good support system as well to make sure there's people around them that are able to to help them during this tough time.
0: Are there um, medications or strategies that can be useful to offset any um, negative side effects, such as nausea or,
1: or fatigue? So, as far as the nausea, nausea and vomiting go, I and mean, that, that is also one of the uh, most major side effects with a lot of these medications. Um, and depending on the medication that's being given, um, there are, there's a wide range of anti-nausea medications that will be given. One example is a medication called uh, Zofran or Ondansetron. Um, that seems to be the most commonly used one. Um, And then depending on the combination of chemotherapy medications that are being given, um, certain combinations um, have a higher potential for patients that have nausea and vomiting. And in those groups of patients, um, we'll give a combination of anti-nausea medications to try to help uh, calm them down. And it's always important for the patients to remember too, um, what we're going to give them um, the most common uh, anti-nausea medications if they have Nausea and vomiting still through, through that though, it's important for the patient to always let the, either the pharmacy or the uh, nurse or the oncologist know, um, and then they can always find something um, a little bit stronger um, to, to help these patients through this tough time. We don't want a patient to go home with that nausea and vomiting and um, have, have these poor outcomes because of that.
0: Do you have any advice for family members or loved ones for how they can help someone who's undergoing chemotherapy?
1: Um, so, the best thing to do is be an advocate for the patient, um, do your research on the chemotherapy medication that the patient is going to be getting, um, be present for that education part of it, and just keep an eye out for the patient. Sometimes patients are too weak to say anything or too scared to mention anything. But if you can be an advocate for them, um, that, that really is the best thing. And the other, other thing to remember too is uh, with some of these newer oral medications, it seems um, it's an oral medication. There won't be any side effects with these medications, but it's important to stay on, on schedule with those medications. And also remember there are side effects that can happen. And it's important to um, try to watch out for those, those side effects. And then we, if we can get, keep those under control, the patients can stay on those therapies for a longer period of time, and hopefully have a better outcome and keep the disease in check.
0: Thank you to pharmacist Timothy Chang from the Upstate Cancer Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink On Air. Two advances in prostate cancer, next on Upstate's HealthLink On Air. From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Among American men, prostate cancer is the most common cancer and the second leading cause of cancer death. The treatment of prostate cancer has a couple of new options, and urologic oncologist Dr. Hanan Goldberg is here to share them with us. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Goldberg.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we'll be discussing the new method of PET scanning. But first, I'd like you to tell us about the new medication, which I've seen described as an oral androgen deprivation therapy. What is is that?
2: Yes. So um, this is a medication which um, has recently got FDA approval in the end of uh, 2020. Um, And it's quite a significant change. One of the treatments for... uh, locally advanced and advanced disease is is, uh, androgen deprivation therapy or what we called uh, hormonal therapy uh, where we basically uh, suppress uh, the testosterone. We cause castration in these men Uh, and up until now we basically had only injection forms that we could give men. Uh, These were called LHRH agonists or LHRH antagonists. They're both a little bit similar, but they work, one of them suppresses the, the hormones and one of them causes a negative feedback loop. So eventually the, the end result is the same. It causes castration of testosterone. And that's been shown to uh, uh, improve uh, um, and prolong uh, survival of prostate cancer patients. And with this new drug, the uh, it is now uh, we are now able to give it in an oral form, in a tablet form. Uh, and then the patients do not need to come to the clinic to get injections every month or every three months or every six months. Uh, and that, that's been a um, significant improvement, especially in the COVID-19 pandemic uh, era where uh, patients, you know, we tried uh, to prevent patients from coming to the hospital, from coming to the clinic because these patients who are cancer patients are more at risk of COVID-19. So this is a huge uh, game changer.
0: So as long as the, the patient takes the medicine as they're instructed, it would work well, right?
2: Correct, correct. So one of, this is one of the things that, that, that people who were against this said, that the compliance is going to be an issue to make sure that the patients take. But there are actually many studies on other cancer medications, even for prostate cancer, uh, which are oral pills. And these studies have shown that, that the compliance rate is actually better than we think it is. It's, it's about 90%. So, I don't think that's going to be a a significant issue.
0: Well, can you go over the expected side effects?
2: Yes. Uh, So, uh, for hormonal treatment in general, whether it's injections or oral therapy, uh, the side effects are actually quite similar. Uh, These are, it's very similar to uh, menopause in women. That's the way I, I describe this to my patients. Um, basically hot flashes, uh, mood swings, fatigue. They can have some gastrointestinal symptoms, diarrhea, constipation, Uh, other uh, more um, uh, severe side effects. It it can increase the uh, triglycerides, the the amount of fat in the blood. It can sometimes cause diabetes as well, but the most common uh, side effects that men complain of are, are the hot flashes, The uh, fatigue, I would say musculoskeletal pain, but there's one important difference uh, which the uh, this drug the uh, that the company is trying to promote is that there's data showing that people who have cardiovascular disease, uh, heart attacks, uh, people have had stents, uh, ischemic heart disease uh, or what we usually call. So the hormonal treatment uh, in the form of injections uh, and in general, uh, can cause actually more uh, severe side effects in, in the cardiovascular aspect. And then in this study that uh, was published in two thousand and twenty in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a randomized uh, multi-center study comparing this new trill this new treatment, the relugolix, to the standard injection treatment, they showed that the with the pill with the relugolix there is fifty four percent less cardiovascular events. So the numbers were not. Uh, uh, huge. It was, uh, I think, uh, somewhere between uh, 7.5% to 3.9%, if I remember correctly. But again, if you compare the 7 point uh, something percent to 3.5, it's a 54% difference. And that's another reason why patients who have prostate cancer but also have cardiovascular issues going on, this drug is probably uh, preferable to them.
0: That's good to know. So, are there any conditions that would disqualify a man from taking this medication?
2: Uh, not really. I don't think there's any contraindications uh, significantly or something uh, you know uh, out of the ordinary for these patients. Um, it's usually the the side effect profile that we're worried about. Um, these patients either take them anywhere between six months to up, up to their whole life. It all depends what type of disease, how advanced their disease is. But there are usually no uh, um, exclusion criteria for, for getting this treatment.
0: The website for Orgovix, I guess that's the trade name of, of this drug, right? Correct. O-R-G-O-V-Y-X. Um, the website indicates that serious adverse reactions occurred in twelve percent of patients taking this medication. Can you describe the adverse reactions and how would a patient make sure that he's not going to have an adverse reaction?
2: Yeah. So, so the uh, and the study that I mentioned before, um, um, the, the it's called the HERO study, very nice name also, uh, which was published in the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. Um, the, the side effects are uh, actually for the hot flashes that hot flashes that I told you about before, it was actually around 50-something percent in both groups because that's the most common side effect. Uh, there is treatment that we can give for, for patients that are coming and complaining of this common side effect. Um, it's a, another hormonal treatment, progesterone and other, other types of treatment that we can give that actually usually helps them quite a lot. The other thing is fatigue uh, and the gastrointestinal symptoms. These were anywhere between 12 to 21% uh, in the study. Um, unfortunately, there's not much we can do there. Um, a lot of the men do get used to these side effects, and with time, they are less uh, bothering to them. Um, but sometimes, you know, the fatigue is something that I warn my patients always that that's something that's going to accompany them as long as they're on this hormonal treatment. And again, the best example that I use is, is uh, the menopause in women. is, is very similar uh, side effect profile to that as
0: well. If this medication works as intended in a man with advanced prostate cancer, does it extend his life?
2: Yes, it has been shown to extend life. So, um, as I said, this is given to a variety of prostate cancer patients. Uh, from, from local, uh, local disease in the prostate, one of the, the two definitive treatments that I usually offer to patients with localized disease only in the prostate is either surgery or, uh, or radiotherapy. And if it's more aggressive disease, we usually add hormonal therapy to the radiotherapy treatment. And uh, that's been shown in many studies in the past, uh, prospective randomized studies to actually um, in- improve survival. So there's, there's clear data for that. And even for the metastatic, the more advanced disease, uh, that hormonal treatment is the mainstay of treatment, at least to, to date. And that's been also shown to um, prolong, um, prolong life.
0: This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Hanan Goldberg. He's a urologic oncologist at Upstate and he cares for many patients with prostate cancer. We talked about the new medication Orgovix for men with advanced prostate cancer, and now we're going to discuss PET scanning with a newly approved imaging agent. The Food and Drug Administration recently approved Pilarify. To be used during uh, positron emission tomography or pet scanning so i'd like for you to explain how this fits into the treatment plan for someone with prostate cancer
2: yes so um, up until um, a few years ago the the imaging scans uh, the the testing scans that we had available for prostate cancer patients what we call today the conventional imaging uh, tests were either CT scans and and, and nuclear bone scans. And these were uh, uh, what we had, and they were far from perfect. Uh, Unfortunately, they they were not accurate enough to diagnose uh, metastatic disease, especially when the PSA, that is the blood test that we measure in prostate cancer patients, and we use it as a marker to see how advanced the disease is. And when the PSA levels were extremely small, uh, extremely low, Uh, these imaging tests uh, were just not accurate enough. And and in the last few years, there's been significant uh, um, advancement in this field. And until the the molecule that is called PSMA uh, was found, um, which is prostatic-specific membrane antigen, and it's been found to be very specific to prostate cancer, and it's uh, uh, overexpressed in more than 90% of tumor cells It is uh, sometimes shown in other places in the body, like the salivary glands, lacrimal glands, but it's mainly, again, uh, in the prostate. And uh, 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 healthcare and science have been using this molecule to devise new imaging tests. One of them is the the PET CT scan, which is more of an advanced uh, uh, CT scan. And we use this special uh, uh, radioactive marker, uh, which is clarify That's but basically it is, and this is injected into the body, and it has an affinity. It can bind specifically to those PSMA uh, molecules and uh, antigens that are on the prostate cancer cells, and this is very specific, and once it binds to it, we can do the CT scan, which actually picks up uh, those uh, molecules attaching to the prostate cancer cells, and that pretty much lights up uh, in the bright red or yellow color in the CT scan that helps us significantly uh, identify in a higher rate of accuracy prostatic uh, metastatic disease. This test that's been uh, recently approved has been shown there's been two studies, uh, randomized studies um, and multi-center studies in, in several countries that have been testing these uh, this new imaging test in two uh, different scenarios. One is patients who are high risk disease who are approaching definitive therapy either with surgery or radiotherapy. And we wanna make sure that they do not have metastatic disease. And the other scenario was patients who have already had definitive therapy with either surgery or radiotherapy. And now their PSA is starting to rise again and we are Concerned that they have now recurrence of disease, and we want to try to uh, locate where the disease is, whether it's in the prostate or somewhere else in the body. And these, uh, in both these studies, this special imaging test, the polarify, the PET CT with Pilarifier has been shown to be significantly more accurate than conventional uh, imaging scans that I talked about before, including the CT scans and the bone scan.
0: So this wouldn't necessarily be for every man who gets diagnosed with prostate cancer, but just those that there's a concern as to whether it has spread.
2: Yes, so so the indication for this, and the US is a little bit behind in this, unfortunately. If you go to uh, other countries in the world, like Australia, for instance, they've been using PET uh, CT scans, PET PSMA CT scans such as this for, for many years now. They have a lot of data uh, major studies on this topic have been coming from Australia, and they actually use this uh, for, um, for two indications mainly. One is men with suspected metastasis were candidates for initial definitive therapy, such as surgery or radi- radiotherapy. And they also use this for uh, patients who have had definitive therapy and are now uh, showing suspected recurrence based on the elevated PSA. Uh, blood test. So I would say these two indications are, are the ones that, that that we are going to use this to clarify hopefully here in the U.S. as well.
0: So if this allows you to know sooner that a, the cancer has spread or recurred in another area, will that allow you to treat those cancers more successfully or give you some options?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great question. So in, in those the two studies that I uh, uh, mentioned to you before that they actually checked uh, examine the role of this Pilarify uh, um, in patients. So that in patients specifically with with suspected recurrence after after definitive therapy, using this uh, advanced imaging scan, the Pilarify, uh, about uh, 69% of patients were found to have metastatic disease that was not uh, seen on conventional imaging. So that caused the management of these patients to be completely altered. So patients who we thought did not have metastatic disease actually had metastatic disease and then their treatment needed to be changed and that could potentially prolong their life, of course. Uh, So this is a very, you know, 69% is a huge number. So to answer your question, absolutely, this will change management and hopefully improve survival.
0: Well, this has been a really good look at two new treatments that seem like they may be able to help improve survival for men with prostate cancer. Thank you to urologic oncologist Dr. Hanan Goldberg from Upstate Medical University and the Upstate Cancer Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air. Next on Upstate's HealthLink on Air, a financial Q&A for people with cancer. From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. In addition to all the medical questions a person might have when he or she is diagnosed with cancer, are questions of a financial nature. Today, I'm speaking with Linda Naples. She's a financial counselor at the Upstate Cancer Center. Welcome to HealthLink on Air.
3: Oh, good morning, Amber. Thank you for having me.
0: Can you tell me what happens if someone who doesn't have health insurance is diagnosed with cancer?
3: So first, let me start off by saying that the financial aspect of dealing with a cancer diagnosis can be very complex and overwhelming for our patients here, especially if you do not have insurance. Um, So it would be my job as the financial counselor to help minimize the confusion and the stress that is caused by of financial concern. So having insurance is very important, especially when you do have a cancer diagnosis. So the first thing would would be to try to triage your situation and to get you on some kind of health insurance coverage.
0: So it's not too late if I don't have insurance and then I'm diagnosed, it's not too late to get insurance?
3: It's definitely not too late. There are all different um, circumstances that are involved depending on your age. If you're employed, if your employer has insurance, um, your income level, you can go on the New York State Health Exchange. Um, There's facilitator enrollers that can help you out uh, with the application to get insurance. There are certain open enrollment periods, certain guidelines, steps that you have to follow, but there's um, myself and facilitators enrollers that can help you obtain health insurance coverage.
0: So no matter, I mean, it seems, seems like there's a lot of options out there, and and you work with people to find the one that fits their needs?
3: Yes, I do. And I work closely with facilitator enrollers also to help um, patients obtain their insurance. There are rules, you know, especially if you're over 65, you should be on Medicare depending on your circumstance, if you're working, if you're retired. So there are certain rules that have to be followed. But we definitely can get you some kind of health insurance coverage, yes.
0: Now, for people who are over 65 and who are on Medicare, what does Medicare typically cover? Will it take care of everything a cancer patient might
3: need? Medicare will typically cover everything that a cancer patient needs as far as their medical treatment. Um, They will pay 80%, and the patient is usually responsible for 20%, the coinsurance piece of it. Um, Depending on what type of Medicare plan you go with, we have the traditional Medicare, and we also have Medicare Advantage plans. And the Medicare Advantage plans um, can vary from one plan to another plan. They're basically the same, but there's different coverage as far as like your pharmacy piece um, stuff that you have to, you know, choose from the Medicare Advantage plans.
0: So it sounds like they'll... Likely be some out of pocket costs. What, depending on, you know, there may be a, a discrepancy between how much, but that there will be some sort of out of pocket cost for a person e- either with Medicare or with private health insurance. What do you say if they say they can't afford the copays? Is there any assistance?
3: Yes, there is, and let me say there will absolutely be an out of pocket cost, especially for our Medicare patients. Um, there are other options that they can take to help with these out-of-pocket costs, such as if you're a Medicare patient, you can buy into a supplement policy. If you're a commercially insured patients, we do have, um, there's patient assistance programs out there um, that help with your coinsurance piece. We have pharmaceutical companies that will step in and help pay for the coinsurance of your drug that you're being treated with. There's um, foundations out there, like the HealthWell Foundation, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society that will help with um, insurance premiums or for the coinsurance piece of your drug.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about the cost of medications, because I've always wondered, are those that are given in a facility, like an infusion, um, treated differently than prescriptions you would pick up at the pharmacy?
3: Yes, they are. So with the infusion piece, it will go through your medical coverage with the pharmacy piece, your oral medication that goes through your pharmacy coverage, your prescription coverage. Um, I don't know everything about prescription coverage. We do here at Upstate have a phenomenal outpatient pharmacy that helps our patients. They do offer financial assistance. They also look for um, programs out there to help with the cost. Of your oral medication, there's also the epic program for the elderly. Um, It's the elderly pharmaceutical insurance coverage that will help with the patients out of pocket pays for their oral medication. So there's a lot of programs out there and as the financial counselor or social worker here or financial navigator. We're all here to help the patient. um, Find all these programs that are out there to help benefit them.
0: I think many health insurance policies have lifetime caps. How common is it that cancer treatment will put a patient over that limit?
3: Well, I believe um, since March of 2010, due to the Obamacare Act, that, that no longer is in place. So there may be a few policies that are out there, um, but because of that Obamacare Act, they, these insurance companies cannot put a lifetime cap on. Essential benefits, health benefits.
0: This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with financial counselor Linda Naples from the Upstate Cancer Center. Is it important for someone who's in cancer treatment to have um, financial documents like powers of attorney given to someone um, to sort of take care of their financial affairs?
3: So that's more of on a, a personal level. I don't deal with that, um, but I would suggest that you obtain a lawyer or financial advisor for any of those needs. I mainly deal with your medical um, treatment or your medical care here, your insurance, um, help you locate um, co relief programs and patient assisting funding, but something along that lines, I would definitely um, reach out to financial advisor or a lawyer.
0: Do you see patients um, who are able to handle all that on their own, or do you think that um some some people sort of need a friend I, or a family member to help them?
3: I think most of our patients need somebody to help them. Um and I'm also here to do that. Our bills here can be quite confusing um and overwhelming at times. They come in so fast. But we are here to help our patients. Um I will spend hours sometimes with one patient. Um just on one treatment if they let their bills pile up. I will help them even on bills that they're getting outside of the hospital. So it can be overwhelming. I suggest that they keep everything in a folder um, and definitely work with a family member or myself.
0: Do you have any advice about, on occasion I've seen cancer insurance policies. Do you have any advice about whether those are a good deal?
3: So with the cancer insurance policies, that's also more on a personal um, level. Um, Those you really have to be careful and research. Normally, in order to have one of those policies, you have to actually buy into it before you are diagnosed with cancer. Um, In New York State, um, it, it depends, you really have to look in and do your research. And each policy is different, depending on the type of cancer that you have, the treatment that you're receiving as to what your benefits will be from that policy.
0: Money stress may have an impact on someone's ability to get through their treatment or to heal. Um, what's available for someone who's struggling financially?
3: So we there are certain um, organizations out there that will help for maybe a one-time offer for your rent, for groceries, um, for medical bills like the cancer care program, they help with transportation, um, the American Cancer Society, any of these programs have counseling. Um, Once again, these are all just like one-time grants that maybe we can get for you. We do have foundation money here within our hospital that I can look into based on your diagnosis or your treatment that you're having here to help you with some of your bills or maybe with a car payment and so you can be able to use your vehicle to get in here for treatment we try to offer gas cards to our patients um, if they can't afford you know the gas or if they have a friend friend driving them in so there's all different options out there for our cancer patients
0: so people need to ask right you would have no way of knowing unless someone confides in you i'm really struggling
3: this is true, we are working closely with our nurse navigators here, um, the social workers. We're all trying to team up together to make sure that we are capturing all these patients here. Um, we're trying to ask them the right the right questions when they're being triaged. Can you afford your oral medication? Can you afford treatment? You're having a problem with transportation? Why did you miss your appointments? Any of those uh, questions play um, into, if. Financially, they're having any difficulties.
0: What would you say is the most important thing to do financially after you're diagnosed?
3: For me, the most important thing is that they get the adequate insurance coverage that they need for their treatment. Um, So, as soon as you are diagnosed with cancer, I would definitely try to reach out with a financial counselor that's on site or the social worker just so we can make sure that for your medical bills at least, you do have adequate coverage because to relieve that stress of your medical bills is huge for our cancer patients here. Um, And then we can go move forward as far as any everyday living expenses that maybe we can help you with.
0: Do you think that uh, most people with a cancer diagnosis are going to have to juggle something financially or is it unusual?
3: No, I, I would think so. I'm just gonna give you an example. You're you're 65, you have Medicare, just Medicare. You're paying your premium, you have social security income coming in, your Medicare premium is $150 a month. You don't think about buying into a supplement policy because that could be an extra $200 a month. You come in for your cancer treatment, you're looking maybe about 1500 a month, depending on after your Medicare pays, depending on what your treatment is and your treatment can go on for six, seven, eight months. I mean, you then you're looking at $8,000 bill. If you have radiation therapy, you could be looking at $2,000 a month and you're on social security. So I, I don't think people really realize the financial impact that cancer can have on them. And there's a lot of programs out there, not necessarily for our Medicare patients, but there are a lot of programs out there to help with the coinsurance piece that insurances do not cover. Or you come in, you have commercial insurance, you're under 65. You're being treated with Keytruda, some, a Some chemo, you know, I can look up and the manufacturer may have a program out there that says, hey, after your commercial insurance pays. We'll pick up what they don't pay for our drugs, so that K true to drug may be fifteen thousand after your insurance company pays, they impose nine hundred dollars on to you. This program will pay for that nine hundred dollars. You know it all depends. All programs are different. They can be income based, maybe no income based. Um, so that's of-
0: really good to know because i I think you know even people who feel like I'm good, I have insurance. It sounds like they're, these copays are going to add up, like tremendously, maybe, and fast.
3: Depending on your insurance. So that's the key. Depending on your insurance coverage. Um, some insurance coverage have like an out-of-pocket maximum. So after you spend $5,000 out of they'll pick up everything in full. Another important piece is wherever you're having treatment, make sure that they participate with your
4: insurance. That's that's true. That
3: is key because we have contracts with Excellus, uh, MVP, Aetna. We didn't have, if we didn't participate and have our contracts with them. Your out-of-pocket expense might be a lot larger.
0: So if you made the mistake of going somewhere that your insurance company doesn't have a contract with, you might be on the hook for All of it.
3: Absolutely. If they do not take your insurance, then they will probably bill you at full charges. Also make sure um, authorization is a key in your treatment. So if you need authorization for the drug that you're getting treated with, you need to make sure that an authorization is obtained from your insurance company that they're going to approve it. You know, Upstate does do do that for our patients here. We obtain authorization. Um, If we cannot obtain an authorization from the insurance company, we then try to reach out to the pharmaceutical company to see if they can get involved. If the doctor feels very strongly that the patient should be treated with a certain drug. Um, So that's very important that if your insurance requests an authorization that we do obtain an authorization for you. And might not be covered.
0: So it sounds like a person who's newly diagnosed needs to ask, really, at the very beginning of this, do you participate with my insurance plan? And should they call their insurance plan and sort of get a rundown on what will be covered and what is required if they need these authorizations?
3: I definitely would. Um, As the financial counselor here, I can see most of the plans um, for our patients. So I can. Research if they will have a 20% coinsurance for chemo treatment, some are 40% coinsurance, um, radiation might just be a copay, which is different than the coinsurance copay. is just a flat fee of maybe $25 for every um, treatment. But the patient should be really informed of their own insurance coverage. Um, just the more knowledge that you have regarding your insurance, the better you are informed of what's happening.
0: And I wonder, a lot of insurances, um, if you're employed and you get your insurance through your employer, you have an opportunity to change plans, usually in the fall.
3: Can you change plans if you're in the middle of cancer treatment? Okay, so changing plans, not because you're in the middle of a cancer treatment, but depends on the rules of your Employment, so if you have Aetna insurance, you can't just change it mid year because you want to change it. I believe there's an open enrollment period, but it doesn't have to have to deal with. um, Because you're having cancer treatment, that's why you can't change. It's because of the open enrollment period. Um, Other things that I do suggest to our patients and I try to work with them if their insurance through their employer um, is not adequate for this cancer uh, diagnosis that they have, like they have a high deductible. I try to see if maybe they can obtain insurance through the New York State um, Exchange Program, and that is income based. So, if their employer is willing to um, let go of their insurance, then maybe they can get insurance through the New York State Health Exchange. That may be a better policy for their cancer treatment.
0: What about military veterans with VA coverage?
3: We also have um, our veterans who are part of the VA system um, and they do not realize that the VA, if they get, if we obtain authorization from the VA department, they can be seen here at our cancer center and the VA picks up most of the bills here. Um, So if you are a veteran and you are part of the VA community care, definitely let us know because going with the VA community care. Is a better option than us billing your Medicare insurance. Uh, Medicare, you will have that 20% coinsurance. With the VA community care, you do not, as long as we obtain the proper authorization and you are part of that community.
0: This has been very informative. Thank you so much to Linda Naples, a financial counselor at the Upstate Cancer Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio show, HealthLink on Air. And now, Deirdre Nealon, editor of Upstate Medical University's literary and visual arts journal, The Healing Muse, with this week's selection.
4: Marie George discovered her love of poetry after retiring from serving as a Lutheran pastor and bishop. Her poem, Small World, assures us that even when our healing insists on our being confined or somewhat limited, our minds can help us soar. Small world. My world felt very small. It consisted of the recliner and the sunroom. Not allowed to drive, I did walk occasionally. At first, I passed just a few houses, up and down the street. Eventually, I worked up to a slow amble around the neighborhood. The limits were clear, my home, my yard, my street. In my life with limits, my small world grew larger. I sat still long enough to see hummingbirds, watch earthworms, read poetry, write letters, Stuck in one place, I had time to dig around my roots, loosening the soil, making room to imagine, wonder, create.
0: This has been Upstate's HealthLink on Air, brought to you each week by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. Next week on HealthLink on Air, researchers tell about neurodegeneration and electrical disturbances in the heart and brain, and we explore whether mental health is connected to violence. If you missed any of today's show or for more consumer health podcasts, visit our website at healthlinkonair.org or do a podcast search for the phrase HealthLink on Air. Upstate's HealthLink on Air is produced by Jim how with sound engineering by Stephen Shaw. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.